0: This episode of Contemporary Perspectives on Black Homeschooling is a rebroadcast of an August 2021 interview conducted by David Whetstone from Pacifica radio station, WPFW 89.3 FM. He interviewed Black Family Homeschool Educators and Scholars co-founder Dr. Khadijah Ali Coleman for his show titled Homeschooling Black Children in America, A Growing Practice. Dr. Ollie Coleman is co founder of the Black Family Homeschool Educators and Scholars LLC, is co editor of the Contemporary Perspectives on Black Homeschooling book series, and hosts this podcast with the same title. Dr. Ollie Coleman's recent research study examined preparedness for college through interviews with eight African American dual enrolled teens who attended community college in Virginia, Texas, and Maryland while being homeschooled for high school. She is co-editor of the forthcoming book, Homeschooling Black Children in the U.S. Theory, Practice, and Popular Culture. Learn more about Black Family Homeschool educators and scholars at blackfamilyhomeschool.org.
1: Welcome to The Collision. The Collision, where
2: sports and politics smash, Thursdays at 10 a.m. and on iTunes and Google Play. WPFW, Washington, D.C.
1: At
0: 89.3 FM, this is member supported WPFW, Washington.
3: And welcome, welcome listeners. You're listening to WPFW eighty nine point three FM. Also WPFWFM.org. It's a pleasure to have you here in this hour. I'm David Whetstone, your host for Community Watch and Comment, the Wednesday edition. And I want to take care of some housework since you're joining us. Whether you're a new listener or old, recently WPFW has finished a summer fun drive. We are a Pacifica foundation radio station. That means public broadcasting, community-based, and importantly, listener support it. So I want to thank each and every one of you that support this hour of programming and the station, WPFW, 44 years strong, going into his 45th year, bringing you jazz and justice because you, the listener, decide to support us. You decide to connect with us with financial wherewithal, but also with the social even in this pandemic, also with the social. And that's important. That's terribly important given today's topic, homeschooling Black children in America, a growing practice. Our guest this morning is Dr. Khadiza Z. Ali Coleman. Dr. Coleman is the co-founder of the Black Family Homeschool Educators and Scholars, uh, known as BFHES. And she's the co-editor of the Contemporary Perspectives, on Black Homeschooling book series and hosts a podcast under the same name. Dr. Coleman's recent research has included a study which examined the preparedness for college through interviews with eight African-American duly enrolled teens who attended community college in Virginia, Texas, and Maryland while being homeschooled for high school. And she's the co-editor of a forthcoming book. Homeschooling black children in the u s theory, practice, and popular culture. Dr. Ali Coleman, good morning, without good, further ado.
0: Good morning, David. It's so great to be here. so good to be here.
3: Well, you know uh, being a friend, a colleague and um, uh, a, a regular listener of sorts you're probably <laughs> aware of that since the pandemic i've been asking guests how are they doing, and that's going to take a special turn throughout this uh broadcast but go ahead let us know how you're managing with things and i'm sure the rest of the show will reflect how the pandemic has affected impacted and even reflected your work
0: so thank you so much for asking um, because yes i in addition to being a veteran homeschooling mother i am also um the director of education community outreach at a media organization in the DMV area. And so I've been remote for the entire year now. Um, and the work that I do as a researcher and with BFHES has been completely virtual, um, for over a year now. Um, I actually earned my dissertate, earned my doctorate. Excuse me. I did my dissertation, um, the week right before quarantine last year. And so the, COVID-19 global pandemic has definitely impacted me in ways that I can't even begin to stop talking about. I mean, every avenue of my life. So thank you for checking in um, because I'm hanging in there um, and I'm realizing that for the maybe the first three months of last year when the, the um, COVID-19 pandemic became a thing, we were planning for, you know, just for the right now, right? We didn't think that this was going to last as long as it has. But now we're in it and we realize that this has really become the new normal.
3: So, yeah, a deciding factor in, on, on many occasions, no doubt. Yeah,
0: right, exactly. So, um,
3: I want to also give a shout out to Liberated Muse ah. because that's a performance arts group that reflects your, not only your role as a e- popular educator, yes. but also a writer, as you said, mom, teacher, leader, right. singer. Right. So. so if
0: you can imagine this past year, like we haven't really been gigging um, last summer, this summer, all of the things that we normally would have been doing in terms of um, visiting schools and museums and libraries and performing, um, you know, we haven't really been able to do that. Actually, our, la- our biggest performance that was our last perform- big performance was last um, February when we were um, honoring Toni Morrison at the Kennedy Center. So, yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Because, yeah, that's been a big um, shift for me as an artist.
3: So we'll proceed to our subject at hand, homeschooling. Yeah. Homeschooling Black children in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, let me do a popular history of homeschooling for a moment. Okay. Um, it's always been a dynamic that children have been educated in homes. Um, but particularly at the close of the 60s going into the 70s, Certain, um, not my favorite term, but certain subcultures, certain groups of our society became increasingly concerned, not only as parents, but as communities of how and why and where and when and all the other uh, considerations of children being educated. Mm-hmm. Um, when you hear homeschooling nowadays in popular culture, a lot of people think of white elite parents and communities that either have a strong ideological bent toward conservatism or uh, liberalism and, um, have a, uh, sense of independence and even some degree insularity from the society at large. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, those who watch this aspect of culture also notice that the children are usually, uh, either, um, Embrace with their special needs Mm -hmm. or another aspect, uh, the children who are being taught at home are high achievers, Mm -hmm. often uh, thought leaders in in media and in politics, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. But that's not the whole picture of what is going on with homeschooling. And it's particularly informative that we pay attention to black communities, parents, youth, youth being students. That is uh, very important. So let me ask you this: um, Why did you, um, in in the in the context of this show, redefine homeschooling, and give us a typical example of what it looks like? So that's
0: even funny when we talk about typical, because um, homeschooling itself really lends um, itself the opportunity for a parent or family to create a learning environment that's specific to the unique characteristics of their family and so while many people think of homeschooling as as you said um, you know it 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 started you know if homeschooling kids are these crazy kids with no social skills and you know the parents are extremists as as you as you talked about you know with the conservative bent typically white well the the reality is is that there is no norm when we're talking about black homeschooling. we talk about homeschooling in general um and so it's not typically this replication of a traditional learning space, which so many people think that you're trying to really duplicate what someone will find. And when I say traditional learning space, from here on out, I'm talking about public, private, charter school, you know, compulsory, compulsory education. Right. And so I know for my family, I homeschooled my daughter off and on for 13 years. And, um, she, so she was in the public school system. She, um, went to, um, you know, we're from Prince George's County, Maryland. So she was in the public school system for some time. And so when we began to transition out in her early elementary school years, um, there were some facets of it that were um, traditional. Um, taught you know, sometimes we had a curriculum um, for math or some of the subjects, but a lot of times we created curriculum um, there you'll hear terms in the in the homeschooling community such as unschooling and deschooling um but all of these are really pathways to curating your child's learning experience and one of the things if there's anything traditional about the practice itself is that the parent is the curator and so curation doesn't always mean that the parent is going to be the lead facilitator you know you're not parents aren't expected to know every who who knows every subject right but they are curating this experience. So that may look like um, engaging with a contractor or going to a home school um, co-op or collective where many parents maybe trade off with teaching subjects or hiring someone to come and teach subjects. Or some parents um, have found it um, helpful to maybe do some facet of virtual learning, but virtual learning by no means is the, the extent of that learning experience. And so what I've when when I'm speaking to folks about homeschooling, it's really talking about when we talk about typical, there is no typical when it comes to homeschooling because it's really reflective of the, the family themselves, the parent, um, you know, and, and many parents engage their children as co-facilitators, if not lead facilitators of that learning experience.
3: I'm glad you gave us a fully orbed definition there. And the thing that leaps out is that it can be not an isolated, insular retreating experience but a collective experience yes. reflective of different responsibilities to one another
1: yes. um
3: in an in, in appeal to african descendant or black communities it would reflect kind of an umbutu ah, i love thing. that
0: yes I, I, Very yeah funny. i
3: am because we are yeah. yes
0: yes so, and you know some families have different um you know just we know extroverts and introverts Personally, so if you can imagine, you know, some families are very collective and, um, very engaged in, um, homeschool cooperatives and, and what have you, where some, you know, they pick and choose. I can tell you that I am, I, I call myself, uh, um, I make a concerted effort to be extroverted, (laughs) but I am an introvert at heart and my daughter is as well. And so we definitely navigated in and out of collective spaces, but a lot of things were, um, very family oriented where it was you know her dad and I doing things with the traveling or things as a as a unit, and then we would pick and choose when we when we would join others and so that's what has been so um, blissful of this experience for us is because it's it's so uniquely um, created based on the needs of our family
3: so um, we'll give people a sense of scale. I was listening to uh, several news reports and also some of the resources of the organization uh, Black Family Homeschool,
1: mm-hmm. and
3: uh, which you're very much a part of, and we'll explain all that. <laughs> but um, one surprise, or was that? Well, let me just get to it. Um, homeschooling has increased twofold in the mm-hmm. District of Columbia, mm-hmm. so it made me think let's just ask what percentage of homeschooling families are black families and uh, you folks, uh, folks you work with in in your own research have turned up um, a number of uh, observations from the 2020 census. Yes,
0: yes, yes. So, so, I, to answer that, I really have to just give some context because <laughs> when I – so I just graduated last year with my doctorate from Morgan State University, and the program was community college leadership. And so I had this bright idea to do a study on um, the perceptions of prepared – enrolled homeschool students and their pre- perceptions of preparedness for community college. And, you know, if you can imagine, folks are like, what? 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 And so I taught college for over 10 years and had a lot of students um, in my classes who were dual enrolled, who were homeschooled, and there was really no literature on this population, right? And so even in homeschooling, when, when I talk about literature, I'm talking about the research. And even when we talk about homeschooling, it always tended to focus on white families. And so before COVID, um, so we're looking at um, years, research really ending 2018, black homeschoolers were maybe three to five percent of the population of homeschoolers in general, whereas homeschooling families as a whole, regardless of race, were less than two percent, really, of, of P through 12 age school children. And so when you talk about twofold, we're talking about like 500 percent. This recent study from the U.S. US um, Census Bureau found um, in, in they really looked at the limitations of their study, realizing it was a small sample size, but, but pulled from that, that since COVID in 2020, Black families, um, were 16% of all folks, all families are homeschooling. Now, their demographic based, um, breakdown was kind of questionable to me because, um, the, really how they characterized um hispanic families they the breakdown it wasn't a racial breakdown but 16 percent in comparison to previously three to five percent is is quite a jump and so last year was probably um something where we're not surprised because many of the schools were transitioning to virtual learning Really hit hard with the pandemic, really floundering in many cases, not able to transition very well. So many, some, you know, many families were, were deciding this is a prime time for homeschooling because the schools don't really seem to get it together. But also what came out of, um, this pandemic is that when students were being virtually taught, seeing some of the dynamic between the teachers and the children and many parents, particularly those in our Facebook group, um, when we started having conversations as to why now, why are you trying to homeschool now, um, is that they didn't really like what the, that dynamic between teacher and child. They also had a time to uh, look closer to the curriculum. And homeschooling, because of all those things that I mentioned before, really being unique, to the family to what the parent is is feeling is important for their child to really be focused on and be learning this was a time for many of them to say you know what i can really do this better all of us now are in flux why not meet you know being able to take the lead and the thing is is that you know i've been asked quite a lot um from media outlets and from folks you know is it because of racism and you know critical race theory has has become like this talking point now, but even when I did my research and my study before COVID, um, you know, looking at the literature, parents, black parents have been unhappy for a while with the curriculum, the lack of culturally based, relevant curriculum um, for their children, the, the, the consequential impact of schools, really criminalizing behaviors of black, black children you know, for the same things that a a white child may do, it now becomes a criminal penalty. These things were existing before COVID. So it's really important for us to know that COVID didn't really unearth that much (laughs) um, what we already knew, but it really provided the landscape for now um, parents to be empowered to to begin to make that shift.
3: Listeners, you're listening to community watch and comment. Um, Allow me to reintroduce Khadijah Z. Ali Coleman. Dr. <laughs> Ali Coleman is talking about homeschooling black children here in the United States. And it's a pleasure to have you again, Dr. Ali Coleman. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Um, so we're surmising that the the preliminary, the initial findings have demonstrated a five 500% increase yeah. Right. On, on the part of the homes, homeschooling done by black families. And um, I said earlier that uh, particularly we're, the point of origin of this broadcast in the District of Columbia, homeschooling in general has increased twofold. twofold. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about how black families are redoubling their concerns about how their children are treated. Mm-hmm. Um, how students advance and what skills and training they have. Um, some would say that out of our Black communities, given differences in income and other resources, that mm-hmm. it's not possible for most families um, to, to um, actualize mm-hmm. all the stuff we've talked about thus far. Right. What, what would be your answer? What would be your response to uh, we're insinuating that homeschooling is not necessarily difficult, mm-hmm. that it's natural and organic to families, but but take us a little further.
0: So so that's a great question because, you know, I get that all the time um, as a homeschooling parent and as a researcher. My colleague, um, Dr. Cheryl Smith, who's actually the co-founder with me of Black Family Homeschool Educators and Scholars, she actually um, Released a book last year on um, single black family home black parent homeschooling. So um, in her book, she explores and interviewed um, a subset of women from all over, um, and when I say all rural as well as urban um, based um, single mothers homeschooling their their children, and her book talks about the varied ways and and many of the sacrifices, and that's the thing. That, um, I think really s- puts black homeschooling families apart from white, this white normative idea of homeschooling. I think where you believe that it's this two family home that is, you know, upper middle class, that it's necessary for the, the mother primarily to be home to, to facilitate this process. But you can talk to scores of black families who are homeschooling. And understand that that there is no normative look. Um, you have families, I know in our group, we have families who, um, where both parents I worked, um, the entire time that I homeschooled my daughter. I'm in a, um, I co-parent with my partner. Um, but you have mothers who are working, um, whether they're virtual educators teaching other people's children or, um, engaging in some type of, um, Work that allows them to really adjust their hours. It's a sacrifice, but it is, is definitely something, um, that you see different demographics within the black family, um, homeschooling community, um, making it happen. And, and so it is not something I tell everyone who asks. It's not an, an easy adjustment if, um, one is unwilling to recognize the sacrifices that are involved. For me, what that meant professionally is that I'm not going to necessarily take um, leadership positions and things that I'm qualified for and that I have a a history of doing if it doesn't allow me the flexibility that I need to to be able to travel somewhere and take my daughter um, to to this opportunity or to really – if we're world schooling, world schooling – Is a name that's given to those who homeschool by traveling the world. And that in itself sounds very elitist and privileged. But I know of a parent, um, a woman by the name of Jade Jade Weatherington. She's actually someone who's very highly active in our group, but really known within the homeschooling community because she's a single mother. She was, um, a former public school teacher who decided to begin, um, virtual teaching. And then, um, she, her, on a, a platform, um, I forget the name of the platform, but she became so successful that she then hired other homeschooling mothers to be able to teach and to have that flexibility to teach others while homeschooling their own children. So there's so, there's so much dimension to the possibilities that families can really engage in to be able to support themselves as well as to homeschool and to look outside of this, this view that it's impossible if you have to work. It's impossible if you don't have this background in teaching. There are many folks who are doing jobs that aren't um educationally based. They they aren't (laughs) you know teachers and formalized and because that's what I get as well. It's like you're a doctor, you have an education background. That's different than over here. But um when you know we have folks who are small business owners notaries and things that aren't really necessarily education based um but still making it happen because this is, the, you know, they're flexing their interdisciplinary muscles.
3: Um, Dr. Khadijah Z Ali Coleman, <laughs> um, you have pointed to what's present, but also what's legacies. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I like to strategically reiterate some things that just that you just said. Black parents have always made a way out of no way, particularly yes. in caring for their children. And this is something that we know. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear stories from high achievers by good measures, not by worldly measures, not by the established systems, but people that we clearly know are high achievers for their, not only for their own selves, but for the community, mm-hmm. for society. And here are the stories they'll tell. Uh, my, my grandma got me a, a set of encyclopedias, mm-hmm. On my bookshelf, on our family bookshelf, J.A. Rogers was talking about, uh, historical black facts or my auntie made sure that my penmanship, that my that I could write very well. You hear these stories over and over mm, and yes, over again. Yes. Yes. Hopefully we don't lose them. I think the examples you just mentioned about, especially learning by travel, you know, have a lot to do with the struggle of black folk. And yes. very much it's not neglecting the fact that when you talk to a child, whether you're blood kin or a responsible elder in a community, mm-hmm. you are that child's teacher. Yes. And yeah. um, what's fascinating also is um, a reconciliation of if, if uh, you know, there are issues of trusting the public system. Well, during Reconstruction, regular listeners to the show will know that black folk in the South made significant contributions to forming schools and a system of public education for everyone. Yes. For yes, everyone.
0: Yes. So, My, my great-grandmother and grandfather, great-grandfather were part of that.
3: Yeah. There's a longstanding tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, leaders like Julian Bond. I mean, mm-hmm. his father was an important educator. historian john hope franklin Mm -hmm. uh, plays a significant role in the education in education within black communities so the examples are countless um before we head for break um you've been mentioning your research and what you conducted did you want to expand on any remaining notions of your findings anything that you think might be important that we need to think about for a little while while we have you with us.
0: Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for allowing me to even share that because um, what, the thing about my study is that I in, I interviewed um, the children, the homeschool children themselves, not their families. And so mm-hmm. so much of the literature that exists around homeschooling focuses on the, the parents themselves and what they believe, you know, what they're doing, why they're doing it. But the children themselves told me so many great things that I think Whatever type of educator you are, I think is important to hear. One of the things um, that consistently stood out for me was um, how they found value in being able to self-pace, to have the opportunity to learn at their own pace, not feel rushed, but if they wanted to um, take more time on whether it was math, a lot of them mentioned math. They had the freedom and the opportunity to do that, but also... For many of them, when, cause all of these children had had experiences except for one out of the eight, um, in public school spaces. And all of them had had experiences in school spaces where they didn't necessarily need time, more time to, to focus on something. They actually wanted to accelerate and go farther. And everything from a teacher not believing them that they were capable or that they were telling the truth if they had said that they already read something or they had already completed something to really to, to examples of having to just really wait until this teacher got to it because the rest of the class wasn't on the same page. And so those instances, I think, are significant, um, for folks to hear that homeschooling, you know, we don't realize how much in the, in the classroom, is um, focused on classroom management and it, it, it's not you don't have the opportunity to really tailor it to your child in particular so that was something that really stood out for me
3: again listeners we're to- talking to Dr. Khadija Z. Ali Coleman Dr. Ali Coleman is talking about homeschooling black children in America we'll continue that conversation after we have some public service messages we'll be right back stay with us
2: It's August 13th to the 19th to celebrate 14 years of the African Diaspora International Film Festival DC. Discover thought-provoking films from Cuba, South Africa, the United States, Mexico and more. Opening night film The Sleeping Negro, a superb character study of a black man in America today. Other films include Maya and Her Lover, about a mature woman looking for love in the wrong places, and Angelica about being a woman, black and Puerto Rican. The D.C. African Diaspora International Film Festival this year, 100% online in D.C. and surrounding states starting August 13th. Tickets scheduled and films at nyadiff.org. That's nyadiff.org. African Diaspora International Film Festival, where black life matters, WPFW, serving 100% of the 99%.
3: and welcome back to Community Watch and Comment, the Wednesday edition. I'm your host, David Whetstone. On that public service announcement, you heard the voice of Louisa Mutali, one of the co-producers and hosts of Africa Now, which comes on your terrestrial broadcast here at WPFW 89.3 FM at 1 p.m. Wednesday today. Today's show of Africa Now will focus on the recent Zambian presidential election which resulted in the opposition candidate defeating the incumbent. So there's a story to be told about Zambia right now. The show also will proceed to uh, talk about the recent impact of the earthquake in Haiti with Eugenia Charles. Ms. Charles is host and producer of Combe la which is on Saturdays at 9 p.m. right here on your Jazz and Justice radio station. WPFWFM. Also available on WPFWFM.org. And uh there's a whole lineup of Caribbean programming on Saturday evenings. I urge you to tune in. Uh not to neglect um all the bountiful programming, which we're thanking the listeners for their recent support in our summer fun drive. There's also a show dedicated to education. You must learn with Baba Aize, and that's 6 p.m. on Thursdays. So I hope you tune into that and other programming available by broadcast on the Internet and social media platforms you most likely use. Search us out. Find us. Support WPFW 44 years strong because you, the listeners, support us. Dr. Ali Coleman, again, so much thanks to your being with us in this hour, and we're discussing the important subject of homeschooling Black children in America. So you were talking about findings and you were honoring the voice and agency of the young people you actually care about and what you do. Yes. Um, What are some of the ways that parents begin homeschooling a child, uh, especially if they previously have been in the school system?
0: Well, there's so many ways. There's a, um, a term. What, what you'll learn the more that you, you study black homeschooling, um, and homeschooling in general is that it's a culture and it's been on the fringes for so long. Um, but now a lot of this, this, this terminology, this jargon, I believe is going to become more, um, you know, normative. And so there's a term called de and for a lot of families that transition into homeschooling, to schooling is that process where you're really trying to detach yourself from the idea of learning only happening in the classroom. Um, and you're not
3: trying to recreate the classroom. Exactly.
0: Exactly. But what many parents realize is that because children have spent so long, so many hours of the day in the school that they may not be f- as familiar as they thought when it came when it comes to certain things, as to what their students' strengths are in terms of what they gravitate toward educationally, um, what are the things that they may not really like? But it may because maybe because they didn't excel in it as compared to something else. So that the schooling process is a really uh, an opportunity to get a sense of who your your child is as a learner. Um, And also to really assess what are the goals that you and your child have um, educationally. Um, I recommend often a mission statement, which sounds very weird, (laughs) very nonprofit-ish, right? (laughs) But a mission statement could be very helpful. And uh, many homeschooling families engage in creating, what is this mission? What do we want um, this learning to be about? What are those outcomes? And traditional learning spaces, outcomes, that's a very common term which um, refers to what are the ch- what is the child able to demonstrate when they take this course or, or finish this lesson and so that is something I find that um, is still helpful in in this, this schooling process to kind of get a grasp on what all your possibilities are and begin to plan those opportunities for your child um, for many parents it'll it could be a, a um, anxiety written because again, some parents go into this believing that they're inadequate and that they don't have all the tools. But what those of us who are veteran homeschoolers and what researchers will tell you is that um, once parents begin to really um, relax in the process and to look at this process as something that can be both intuitive but also collective as you mentioned then they start to relax and to um to make it more of something that's not as traumatic
3: as it <laughs> you know some make it yeah. and and life is full of drama particularly in this present age oh my um if we can help listeners and parents and concern uh relatives and friends of families and friends particularly of youth can we try to um maybe take away a barrier or two, and one of them might be the financial barrier because the accusation has been that a lot of homeschooling, I'm not saying necessarily homeschooling with black families, but that Mm -hmm. its subvention, its support has come from conservative sources Mm. bent on destroying public education. Mm. And I like to say, even before you answer, uh, the black parents I know that are doing homeschooling Are, are wanting to work with any and all environments that their children are in. So Mm -hmm. it's not, that's not the case as far as the principal people we're talking about. But Mm -hmm. if you could say something further about the financial barrier or the, or the social influences and directions, maybe you could take away a few of the fears that some who are considering homeschooling might have.
0: Wow. So that's a very nuanced question. Um, (laughs) what I can say. (laughs) Sorry. Well, what I what I can tell you is that um, right now, because um, homeschooling is such a trending thing, that you're you're definitely going to see the ecosystem really broaden, and you're going to see a lot of folks wanting to c- capitalize off of this population. That's real, okay? And that's I think for anything. And I think that what we are we're seeing a lot of folks um, trying to really get those homeschooling dollars coming. Um, To parents where I can offer this class, I can do that. What I would like to say is that, and, um, is that you spoke earlier to black people always making a way for our children. And, you know, and I had mentioned my great grandmother, my great grandfather in Louisiana. Um, and they were some of the early people working with Rosenwald schools. Are you familiar with Rosenwald schools? Yes. Why don't you tell the
3: listeners? Yeah, that's an important historical ph- phenomenon. Right.
0: And so, and for those who go to the Blacksonian, that's what we call the, um, <laughs> the
3: Smithsonian in DC,
0: um, dedicated to um, African American history. But Rosenwald schools, um, at the turn of the in the early 1900s, um, is a philanthropist, a white Jewish philanthropist named Rosenwald, who was working with Booker T. Washington on getting funding schools for Black Children, right? And, but rather than just give the money, Rosenwald decided that he would fund those schools where the need was demonstrated. And the need was demonstrated based on this idea that we have called um, matched funds and those who are in the nonprofit world know what matched funds are is that if you're going to get some funding, like let's say an organization gives you $10,000, but they say it has, you have to demonstrate matched funds. You have to show that you're also getting $10,000 from another source. So what Rosenwald's, um, required was that these in um communities that were to get his funding to build a school, they had to have the money that he was gonna give, match it with the money that he was gonna give. So black families did everything from uh, you know, um church fish fries, all the things that we know we do to raise money. And so this is the same I this I, I see this in our homeschooling communities where um parents are making it do what it do and so they're doing everything um you know these collectives and so a lot of the funding that comes from these spaces um that don't have don't wear black faces i think that is very important for for us to be very critical as to where this money is coming from and the why behind it i know that i have been offered money i um I myself have, I, I offer um, services to homeschooling parents and, and children as well. And I have a problem, I am critical when I'm asked to share information for those um, of the children, and the families that I serve. I'm critical when my name is going to be attached to some type of agenda that is not matched with what I believe in. And so that is really what I think. The question that you're asking, David, is you know we're going to see this more and more. We're going to see this because folks are going to want to attach themselves to this movement and really give the um, and really try to um, make it seem as if Black families are not at the helm and are not knowledgeable enough to know what it is that we're doing. I just I, I you know I, I encourage folks all the time to be critical all the time as to where the money comes from.
3: Um, so. We just briefly touched on the social context and we're trying to encourage people to at least really consider, uh, this dynamic of homeschooling, particularly Mm -hmm. for black families and black children. You have a colleague who is a co-editor of a forthcoming book and it's called homeschooling black children, homeschooling black children in the U.S. Practice, theory, and popular culture.
1: Yes. And the
3: 14 authors, um, the 14 contributors are in some way either homeschooling parents or researchers. Yes. Um, so it supports some of the things you just said. Um, certainly, in this hour, you've demonstrated why it's important to put it out now. <laughs> but give people a sense of the range of concerns that we haven't spoken to that might be reflected in this book. Again, Homeschooling Black Children in the U.S. Practice Theory and Popular Culture.
0: Okay. Well, I definitely want folks to check for our book. But I want to say the names of some of the, the authors who are included. And
3: who's your co-editor? I'm sorry. Right. That's important.
0: Yeah. So I want to drop some names that folks can Google to learn more. But my co-editor is Dr. Cheryl Field-Smith, who is actually the most prolific researcher. She's been doing this for over 16 years now, researching um, black homeschooling families. And she is a professor out of the University of Georgia who is part of the department that teaches teachers. So she's in the education department and she teaches teachers on how to teach, right? But her research, um, evolved from looking at homeschooling in comparison to tr- traditional school spaces. And so she and I are co-editors, but we also have a chapter in the book. Um, my book, my chapter, of course, is looking at dual enrollment, um, you know, as a choice for homeschooling. But there's Malika Diggs, who is one of the premier voices on un- unschooling and this idea of schoolishness. Um, there's Cheryl Carter, who's out of New York, who was talking about um, her husband and her journey homeschooling their children um, from a Christian perspective. And so it's just everything that you can imagine.
3: Yeah. Oh. So um, you can go further. <laughs> okay. We still have a few moments.
0: Okay. Um. We we have um. Kathleen Amans. She is a professor who also um has homeschooled her children um out of Georgia, and her, she and her husband are graduates of Spelman and Morehouse. And so they knew that they wanted their children to have um to be able to to go to a competitive college. And so in the chapter she talks about that journey. But everyone isn't really um that's not a goal for every family. College or or, or that type of um pathway. And so we have other folks in the book who are talking about just the um The traditions, some of the things that we've been talking about, David, how homeschooling is aligned with this idea of activism. Um, And one author, Laura Smothers, talks about it from um, looking at it from Ida B. Wells and how she was an activist and an educator and standing up for Black people and how homeschooling is in that same vein of work. So it's just a really, the volume is going to be very powerful, I
3: believe. And thank you for that shout out because I'm (laughs) sure you were aware that we had uh, an educator, uh, Michelle Duster, who was the great granddaughter of Ida B. Wells, talking about a recent biography.
0: Oh, yes. And, I love Ida B. Wells. She's one of my personal
3: heroines. And, and thank <laughs> you. And you, you've given me an opportunity to do a back announcement or a back at, as we say in the business, and remind people that you're listening to community watch and comment the Wednesday edition. Our guest is Dr. Khadija Z. Ali Coleman. <laughs> and, uh, Congratulations, Dr. Coleman, on your educational doctorate and a lot of the hard work you do, not only within the realm of education, but for this community. Baltimore folks and Washington, D.C. folks and Prince George County folks probably have heard of you or have seen you (laughs) somewhere giving a speech, doing a performance, lifting up the written word and lifting up the process
0: Oh, um, I appreciate so, you, David. Thank
3: you. So, and it's guests like you that have appeared all across the grid. So I'm going to keep up the housekeeping for a second. At 3 p.m. today on Wednesdays, there's Sophie's Parlor, music and culture by women, but for everyone. And often, the uh, wh- who's ever hosting a particular Wednesday will have guests. Shea Wanana, a two, covering Middle Eastern affairs. We know that's. Curly important um, right now. And at one, as I said earlier in the programming, Africa Now with host Moisa Mutali. Today's show will cover uh, the recent election in Zambia and the situation in AT. But importantly, don't forget the blues every weekday at noontime. And I suspect Dr. Nick is substituting for Clarence the Bluesman Turner, which is your usual host on Wednesdays. All that and more because you, the listener, have decided either on a large scale or a modest scale in these hard times to support your Jazz and Justice station, WPFW 89.3 FM, Jazz and Justice going into its 45th year. I thank you. Dr. Coleman, I don't want to leave anything out. I want to say if people want to find out more information about your organization and the resources that are out there, uh, they can go to black family homeschool, squash that together as one word, yep. put a dot behind it and put <laughs> ORG, blackfamilyhomeschool.org. That's, right.
1: That's right. We'll give
3: you the uh, information. And Dr. Ali Coleman, I'll, I, w- I would like you to just repeat. The organization's name so that people hear your voice and not mine.
0: <laughs> that will be Black Family Homeschool Educators and Scholars. And you can find us at blackfamilyhomeschool.org or blackfamilyhomeschooling.org.
3: And your organization is committed to a regular podcast and book series called yes. Contemporary Perspectives on Black Homeschooling. Yes, So sir. the struggle and striving continues. And, <laughs> and, um, Let's head out on a, on a very, very good note, both <laughs> personal and broad.
1: Yes.
3: You know, we are concerned about our youth. We are concerned about the generations that follow us. And we want to honor the rich treasure and legacy that elders and ancestors leave for us. Reiterate how are black homeschooled kids or youth, rather, who grow into adults, how are they faring in terms of work and in terms of school?
0: So the literature, um, prior to COVID, if you re- have read any academic research that looks at the academic success of, um, homeschooled children, um, regardless of race in comparison to those who are traditionally schooled, if success is academic, um, you know, aspiring to higher education, um, children who are homeschooled, and higher education are more likely to persist which means to continue throughout without any gaps in their um their their college schooling they're more apt to um graduate and when they graduate they're more apt to um achieve higher GPAs in comparison to those proportionate to their population of course um and so uh, that's often what many parents are looking for is like Will, will my child still be able to go to college? Will my child still be able to find a job or to, to have opportunities? And and the answer is definitely yes.
3: And in your voice, in your heart, in your spirit, and <laughs> those who join you, we want these young people to really grow up to be happy, yes. centered, determined, lifelong learning adults.
1: Yes. And yes.
3: I, I believe that you're contributing to that effort and I thank you for it. I congratulate you. We said earlier at the beginning of the program that you're coming uh, to us by Zoom, safe mm-hmm. social distancing folks, um, from San Francisco, where yes. you're getting your daughter acclimated to uh, attend the University of San Francisco.
1: Yes. And congratulations
3: to her. I won't embarrass yes. her, but she received <laughs> a full scholarship.
0: Yes, she did. And, she-
3: uh, uh, you know, we don't live by antidotes, but we live by witness. And that's <laughs> a witness to what things can be done through homeschooling. Listeners, you've uh, heard Dr. Khadija Ali Coleman. She, again, is the co-founder of Black Family Homeschool Educators and Scholars. She is the co-editor of the Contemporary Perspectives on black homeschooling. It's a book series and podcast. All the information you need about this issue can be found at blackfamilyhomeschooloneword.org. Dr. Ali Coleman, thank you so, so very much for being with us. Um, I once again, as I do every week with, uh, under God's good graces, uh, thank Mike Nassara, our engineer in the news and public affairs departments of WPFW, of the WPFW family of programmers. My hat is off to you, both music and public affairs programmers and the listeners who responded to you to support this station. There's still time to do that, folks. You can always go to WPFWFM.org, click a bright red button that says donate. If you're particularly inspired by a particular show, be sure to identify that in the steps. Coming up next, don't forget the blues, which I believe if my eyesight can see through zoom, Dr. Nick's there getting everything ready. Thank you, Dr. Nick and the news five minutes before each hour. Folks, thank you for being with us. We're building a a world, one broadcast, a better world, one broadcast at a time. And I wish you well. Perhaps we'll meet again. Take good care.
2: August 13 to the 19th to celebrate 14 years of the African Diaspora International Film Festival, DC. Discover thought-provoking films from Cuba, South Africa, the United States, Mexico, and more. Opening night film The Sleeping Negro, a superb character study of a black man in America today. Other films include Maya and Her Lover, about a mature woman looking for love in the wrong places, and Angelica, about being a woman, black, and Puerto Rican. The DC African Diaspora International Film Festival this year. 100% 100% online in D.C. and surrounding states starting August 13th. Tickets scheduled and films at nyadiff.org. That's nyadiff.org. African Diaspora International Film Festival, where black life matters. WPFW, serving 100% of the 99%. Peace,
1: this
2: is Baba Eze. Your WPFW programmer of the 6 p.m. Thursday weekly liberatory educational show. Hashtag you must learn. I'm inviting you to join us this Thursday, August the 19th from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for a special two hour radio show that will feature experts and educators as we explore critical race theory. CRT. What is it? Why is it causing an uproar and what you can do about it? So join us this Thursday, August the 19th from 5 to 7 p.m. Be there.
1: Peace. Welcome to The Collision.
2: The Collision, where sports and politics smash, Thursdays at 10 a.m. and on iTunes and Google Play. WPFW, Washington, D.C.
4: From WPFW in Washington and WBAI in New York, I'm Sue Goodwin. Today is Wednesday, August 18. Here are some headlines. In Afghanistan, the U.S. and other countries continue evacuating their own citizens today after the Taliban seized power on Sunday. The White House said Tuesday at least 11,000 Americans were still awaiting evacuation. Meanwhile, calls are growing for the U.S. to accept more Afghan refugees. More than 300,000 Afghan civilians have been affiliated with the American mission over its two-decade presence in the country, according to the International Rescue Committee. The special immigrant visa, also known as SIV, is offered to people living in Afghanistan and Iraq who supported the U.S. military. In a joint letter Tuesday, 43 Democrats and 3 Republicans urged the administration to create a new category of humanitarian parole for Afghan women, civil leaders, and others, especially vulnerable to the Taliban. The lawmakers also urged the White House to streamline the paperwork process to allow for fast, humane, and efficient relocation to the United States. In Haiti, officials raised the death toll from a deadly weekend earthquake by more than 500 on Tuesday after Tropical Storm Grace forced a temporary halt to search and rescue efforts. The death toll following the 7.2 magnitude earthquake now stands at over 1,900 with nearly 10,000 injured. Haiti's Civil Protection Agency anticipates those numbers will climb noting that many people are still missing. According to USAID, more than 80,000 homes have been destroyed and the United Nations Children Fund estimates there are now half a million Haitian children with limited or no access to shelter, health care, clean water, or nutritious food. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and the United Nations says it has allocated $8 million to go toward getting emergency shelters and clean water to Haiti, but much more is needed. House Democrats Introduce legislation on Tuesday to reauthorize sections of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that have been gutted in recent years by the Supreme Court's conservative majority, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act is meant to undo Supreme Court rulings that gave states and jurisdictions more leeway to put restrictions on voting access that are now being enacted at an alarming rate. Congressional lawmakers will vote on the bill when they reconvene next week at the end of their August recess, but the potential of a Republican filibuster narrows the odds the bill will make it through the Senate. Groups supporting the voting bill are planning a march in several cities on August 28 to call on the Senate to remove the filibuster rules. The Texas Supreme Court ruled on Tuesday that the state's House Democrats can be arrested if they refuse to attend the state capitol to conduct legislative business. More than 50 Democrats fled Austin in early July in an effort to prevent the necessary quorum needed to vote on an elections bill that would place new restrictions on voting and discriminate against voters of color and disabled voters. The court's decision is a win for House Republicans and lifts a temporary restraining order a county judge issued last week, blocking arrest warrants. The State House Speaker last week signed 52 civil arrest warrants for Democrats who were absent without excuse